Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another Wind Up podcast. I am your host, Mike of MTGA Wines, and today is the day we recap the 2023 harvest season. This has been a few weeks coming. There have been all kinds of fun kind of anecdotes, developments, things that are going on in the cellar, despite the season really having slowed down and given us a little time for some R&R. There's still plenty of stuff to cover and dive into as these wines really start to take shape. So we're going to dive into basically a little bit of the growing season, a little bit of the harvest season, really talk about where these wines are right now and what the expectations are for them. All of kind of the big burning questions that folks normally have once we get through a harvest season. Before we get too far into it, I want to thank everybody one more time for the likes, the subscribes, the downloads. We officially crossed the thousand download mark um, in the last like week or a couple of weeks. Uh, something that I finally looked back at the analytics. I something I rarely do actually, uh, but the fact that we have crossed that mark, you know, in the first what, like eight months or so of doing this is just amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone who's continued to share the podcast, to listen to it, to download it. Uh, please continue doing all those things. Uh, make sure you're following us on the Twitter, the Instagram, the Book of Face, as well as YouTube, just at MTGA Wines. Uh, that's where we're posting kind of more casual, just, you know, bite-sized updates rather than these longer-form conversations. Uh, but with all of you guys tuning in, it's hugely, hugely appreciated and very excited for where we're going to take this next year. Um, over these next couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing some troubleshooting in terms of recording the home office slash studio that I'm in, as well as taking this out to the winery to give uh, a little bit more content from not just myself, from other folks as well. So we're going to start integrating more folks into this show uh, as the months go on. So there's a lot of cool stuff that's coming down the pipeline. Uh, very thankful for all of you learning with me uh, as I get this thing kind of up and running. And it's going to be something that's going to be really, really fun as we continue to kind of grow and evolve. So thank you all so, so much. It means the absolute world to me. All right. So this 2023 harvest. Now, it's already coming out. The Napa Valley Vintners have said it. Many other critics and other folks have said it that 2023, as far as Napa is concerned, is looking like it's going to be a vintage of the decade. They're saying, hey, these wines coming from this season are just going to be lights out. And quite frankly, I got to agree with them. It's rare that I buy into the hype, especially from wine critics, but sometimes you just have to. And with what Mother Nature gave us this year, because, you know, I, I do believe there are going to be people that, you know, argue, oh, it's, it's all the winemaker. You can make great wine out of, you know, anything. And then there are going to be people that are like, no, 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 it, it's the vineyard. If you don't have a great vineyard, you're not going to make great wine. It's always the vineyard. I'm one of those people that's like, no, you got to have both. There's got to be a synergistic relationship between the farming, between the winemaker. And if you don't have that, you're not going to have these amazing vintages that we talk about. You have to have the best of both worlds. You can have a rough year going back to say like a 2011 or even a 2015, which was a really rough yields year. We had a lot of shatter and some issues. Uh, we could talk about the huge heat spike in 2022 and last year and the challenges that that posed. Great winemakers are still going to make pretty solid wine. There's going to be some hiccups along the way. They're going to have to figure some stuff out, but they can get there. They can still make great stuff. You saw that in 1998. You've seen that in other cold, rainy years in the late 80s. Um, there's still going to be great wines out there to be had. You might just have to search for them a little more. 
On the flip side, if you have these really great vintages, you still got to execute. You know, you can't really rest on your laurels and say, hey, you know what? It's pretty good. We're just going to let the wine do its thing. You know, we can kind of check out. You know, I'm going to have another cup of coffee and just relax. You know what I mean? Hmm. Speaking of which, I'm such a caffeine addict. This coffee's so good. Actually, it's not even good coffee. It's like the Nespresso, like instant stuff, which is not bad as far as instant coffee goes, like the little pods, right? But I'm like normally like a uh, uh, like a pour over guy or a, the French press. Like that's what I normally go for. And I've just been lazy and haven't bought more coffee grounds, so I'm dealing with instant coffee, I guess. At least it's not bad. You know, it's not too bad anyway. Uh, but anyway, you gotta, you have to, you have to still execute. And I know. There are plenty of folks that just kind of, you know, hey, the season's good, the wines taste good, we're good, we're just cruising. You know, it's a little bit more of the cruise control mentality. And it's not a lot of people, but we all we all have experienced that in other jobs or businesses that we work for or with, is that you have, you know, a handful of people that kind of phone it in because they're like, oh, you know, good enough, this kind of the good enough for government work kind of mentality. You know what I mean? No offense to anybody who works for the government out there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and you still got you got to be able to you know still dive into little little details and that's why I do these vintage recaps is because it forces me to dive in head first into what we have in barrel right now in the cellar and start figuring out exactly where things are going for the last 14 years of winemaking this is what I do typically the second week of December, maybe into the third week. Some of you who do follow us on some of our other social networks have probably seen uh, some of the posts with my little black notebook of notes that I take when I go barrel tasting. Some of you have seen kind of the the scene of the barrels that I have to go through. Um, There's over 50 of them that I end up going through and tasting over the course of a week. Um, Typically, I do most of them in one day. To be honest, it's it's a hell of a tasting day. But the reason we do it is for a couple things. One is just basic QC or um, QA, like just quality assurance, quality control, just just making sure that everything's going the way it ought to be. But even at this stage, just a couple months into this winemaking process, I'm already starting to make notes about what barrels I want to use for what. If you look carefully at some of those notes that I posted there are going to be little sections that say, hey, this is going to be for this. This might be for this. And there's an abbreviation for everything. I kind of have my own like seller shorthand, basically, that I utilize for different blends, different projects, and so on and so forth. And even just tasting them right now, like you just kind of, they just have that character. And this this comes with a lot of experience. And I think most winemakers will tell you this, is that you're not just going to dive in year one into winemaking and say, all right, we're going through all this. And this is how we're going to separate all this stuff. And this is going to be our baseline for years to come. I mean, in my honest opinion, it it takes like three years of making wine until you finally, finally start to understand kind of the ebbs and flows of your own style and your own production methods and how those are going to integrate as not just these first two months go by, but as the next year goes by, as the next two years go by, as you're aging these wines, blending them and eventually bottling them. It takes a lot of work. And you kind of have to look into your crystal ball and say, hmm, I think these are the directions that these barrels are going to go. Let's get them on that track. And if things change, we'll adapt and adjust and go from there. You have to be a little bit open-minded in that sense. You can't just say like, hey, this is this. And there are, to be fair, certain barrels that you'll use for specific 
you know, sections of your project. You know, what we do for our Merlot is very different than what we do for our Grand Cask, which is very different than our Diversum Cabernet. And those will all be treated differently to kind of create certain base wines. And then from there, we can use blending to enhance them as the years go on and particularly before bottling. So this harvest recap is a huge linchpin into, I think, any winemaker's program. It's imperative that you go into the cellar and you taste. It's almost like, I think I was watching, um, this is a great analogy actually, it just came to me. I was watching Hot Ones the other day. I don't know if it's Sean, whatever his name is, um, from First We Feast, I think it is. And they're hot ones, you know, they get someone relatively famous and they come in to eat hot wings and go through these hot sauces. And he was, I was watching the one with Dave Grohl because Dave Grohl's a champion. Let's be honest, he's the best. And I think Sean asked him something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, but hey, like, what, is, what do you think is like the most important thing for like musicians, it, whether you're coming up or trying to get your stuff out there? You know, what, what are the most important things that you need to be doing as a musician or as a band to really be successful? And I think, and Dave Grohl just said, is like, you got to play live. You got to get out there. You got to do the thing. You got to share your music with people and work your way up the festival charts. You got to work your way up, you know, the touring chart or whatever. Like you got, if you're really going to do it, you got to do the thing. And as a winemaker, going through and tasting your wine is doing the thing. You got to get out there and actually use your taste buds and understand what is going on in your cellar. If you just set it and forget it, if you go through and you try those barrels, you're like, all right, cool. See ya. We'll see you in a couple months. It's, it's not going to work that well. There's going to be things that you miss. There's going to be things that you change, that, that you need to change or adapt to. And uh, it's just not going to be as cohesive. You really got to get out there and put in the work. You can't phone it in. And that's, again, you know, what this recap is all about. So to go back to the very beginning, uh, this harvest season, for those that are a little maybe, you know, aren't familiar with how the season really kind of shook down in terms of the growing of, of the grapes and the vines and everything, we'll dive into that real quick. So basically we had a, an outrageously wet winter. It was a very, very heavy rainfall that continued basically throughout the entire winter and into the early spring. Most places from just the charts that I've seen, we're seeing at least like eight to 10 inches above their annual rainfall to average. So lots of water to be had, which is great for us considering we've been in a drought basically since 2012. And it really helps set the stage for a great growing season. One of the really nice things is that as these grapevines start get going, start to really grow and they bud out and they start kind of they kick off their growing season for us. They need a good chunk of water right at the get go to make sure that they've got plenty of resources. It's almost like having your cup of coffee in the morning. You just need to have something to jumpstart you, and maybe it's just you know, coffee is more of a ritual, you know, probably for me at this point, but. We'll try and use it as, you know, a comparison. You know, the vines actually need that water to survive. And, you know, technically I need coffee to survive. So I guess that checks out. But, you know, with that extra rainfall, with that extra water in the soil, they had plenty of resources available to them. So, I mean, the growing season started off with a bang. Like it was just like, all right, and we're going. 
The one downside is that it can create a lot of extra vigor out there. Um, you're gonna have to go through and hedge and prune quite a bit because you don't want too much green growth. You're gonna have to deleaf probably. Um, there's gonna be a lot of cover crop and weeds and things that grow amongst those vines. You probably need to go through and till those under or, or chop them down. So there's gonna be some extra work. Um, there was a lot of potential for extra mold and mildew issues this year because of how moist it was in and around uh, the vineyards. So you had to combat that a little bit. So even with this like great start to the year in the growing season, there are still challenges that you have to kind of work through and overcome. Nothing so serious that we can't deal with it, but you know, it's still stuff you gotta deal with, right? Now, as we got into the summer months, spring and into summer, it was an incredibly mild summer, especially compared to recent history. You know, if you look back at just 2022 alone, we had a multiple heat spikes into the 100 degree range. Actually, Brittany and I were just talking about this. We harvested her Grenache in 2022, so last year. And when that fruit came into the winery, it was 106. We're standing on the sorting line in the sun, sorting through grapes in 106 degree weather not the most fun we've had making wine, but you got to do what you got to do, right? This year, completely opposite. We probably had one like heat wave, kind of, and then outside of that, we had a few bumps into the 100 degree range, and that was about it. It was basically like high 80s to low 90s, which is perfect. If, if you're going to just be on a cruise control kind of mentality, this is the year to do it because Mother Nature did it for you. All you had to do was wait, which was kind of weird. You know, the last five, six years of winemaking out here has been very, very hectic. You go back to 2017, we had the first round of fires that really impacted the area. You go through 2018, you're like, all right, not so bad. You go into 2019, not so bad. 2020 is a mess for everybody. We also have another round of fires. There's droughts and other things going on. You finally get to 2021, you're like, okay, uh, finally a normal year again. And then 2022, crazy heat spike. You're like, all right, whatever, we'll figure that out. And now this year, it's just like even keeled. So chill, so nice. It was so nice, you guys, it was so nice. And what that means for us when we finally get to the harvest season in the fall, it makes our judgment calls a lot easier. In fact, there really isn't a judgment call to be made. You're just, you get to pick your grapes when you think they're best. I guess that is a judgment call technically, but you're not having, you're not having mother nature throw some curveball at you where you have to decide to swing or not. This is more like, Hey, the grapes will be ready next week. Let's just pick them at some point next week. No joke. As I would call up my growers, the farmers that I work with, I would say, hey, you know, the fruit's probably about a week out. Uh, we want to get on the docket for picking. It could be, you know, middle of next week, end of next week. Even if it's the week after, that's fine. But let's just get it on the docket because it'll be ready then. It's like you just get to slow play it. You know, it's not this, oh, shit, it's going to be 115. Everything needs to come in now. Or, hey, there's something else happening. We got to bring it all in now. Or, shoot, we're running low on tank space. We got to put a pause on everything and wait until we have room. Or maybe we got to press something off early. Like, there's there's so many little things that we didn't have to deal with in terms of, like, the logistics and the judgment calls that we sometimes have to make during harvest that we were just able to do the work. What was extra weird about this year, I guess the one kind of, you know, weird thing is that we had all of our white wines come in. We had Blair Payton come in for Brittany's Rosés. And a lot of folks had this happen where their white wines, their rosé programs, especially the sparkling wine guys were done super, super early as they always are. Lucky bastards. Uh, anyway, 
all those really light kind of fresh and like cheerful wines are in fermented put into barrel and had started aging before any of the reds had came in i there were there was about a three-week period in the middle of our harvest season where i had nothing to do it's the weirdest thing that's probably happened to me during a harvesting like there's a lot of crazy shit that happens we've gone through a lot of that if you don't know what i'm talking about go back and listen to the harvest shenanigan episode you'll enjoy some of that for sure just to give you a little like tip of the iceberg like here's the nonsense that we go through during a harvest season but it just it was like well i guess i'll just um uh all right i gotta run a wine club i guess i'll take care of the wine club shipments uh let's see i gotta rack some wines you know from 2022 let's get that racking done got a little um blending some blending trials i want to knock out let's just knock out some busy work so that's probably the strangest thing that happened during this growing season into the harvest season was like we had this weird section especially for us small guys for the bigger guys they're just kind of go 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 but when you're small like us there's kind of these more finite cuts to when you're you know, making wine to when you're not. And once the white wines were done, the reds just simply weren't ready. It was like, okay, well, I guess we'll just wait for them to be ready. And it took another three weeks, almost a month, realistically. It was pretty wild, pretty wild, all said and done. But when the reds were ready, they came in hard and fast. It was basically everything at once. We almost ran out of tank space uh, out at Con Valley. As a matter of fact, we had 1,000-gallon tank left, and it was up in the cave, which means we would have to bring it down to the winery, which is going to be an absolute nightmare. Everything else was full. We already had a bunch of bin fermentations and barrel fermentations go, which probably saved our ass because that means we had space for other stuff in the tanks. Um, it was, uh, it was pretty tight. It was pretty tight there for a minute. There was a moment in 2022 where that almost happened as well. But this year it was, we were right up against it. We're like, we have no more tank space. We'll hopefully get through this and hopefully the yields are, uh, not going to be as big as we think they are, but they certainly were. Uh, it was a, definitely a bumper crop year. Uh, and also when we were pressing off, you know, our fermentation, there's a lot of juice coming out of those fermentations, higher juice yields this year for us as well. So we were down to, I think our, Shoot, we were down to our last two barrels, I think. I would have I would I had to buy a couple of new barrels actually, extra ones. And if I hadn't bought those extra couple of new barrels, we wouldn't have any any barrel space. Like we would have been just out of barrels. I would have been trying to track down neutral barrels from somebody to put our wine into. Like it was just that that was kind of the craziness of the year was this weird gap in between picks and then all of a sudden like, "Oh my god, like we just don't have space for anything." Uh, where are we going to put all this stuff? And we don't even have enough containers. Like it got really squirrely there for, for a minute. Mm. I'm still on my, like, I'm on my second cup of coffee. So if you hear the pause break, you, if you've been listening to this for a while, you know that that's like the little like breather I take. Cause I get on a roll. I start talking. The voice gets a little raspy. I'm like, I just need to drink something. I always have a cup of coffee in my hand cause I need something to fidget with too. So it's like, all right, I got something nice that I can like hold on to. Um, so once all these, once all this wine is, you know, at the winery, all the fermentations actually went through like perfectly. Uh, there was not a single fermentation that I had to deal with that was weird or feisty or a problem. Uh, we have a couple of barrels right now as I was going through some, some barrel tasting that are still a little sweet. That primary fermentation is still wrapping up. 
nothing that's an issue. Uh, those will be done here pretty soon. They're still bubbling and crackling right along, so I'm just kind of keeping tabs on that. Uh, we have a little bit of um, topping that needs to get done. We're going to fill up a few barrels, just make sure there's not a lot of headspace, not a lot of oxygen exposure. That's super straightforward stuff, kind of just you know walk in the park kind of barrel maintenance once things are in the cellar. Everything wrapped up really, really smoothly, um, which is just... Again, it's a little strange. It's been a while. It feels like it's been years since we've had like a really nice, even keeled, relatively easy harvest, you know, because it's, it, you know, like many things, like kind of the, the ones that are the problem children, the ones that have a lot of issues, the dramatic ones kind of stand out of the crowd, you know, the 2020s, the 20, you know, uh, 2017s and so on. Uh, 2018 was actually a very hectic harvest for us. It was really kind of 2019 and 2021. Those are the only two other picks and years where things were kind of remotely normal. And even then there were issues that we were still dealing with. Nothing quite as dramatic, but just craziness, you know, just normal harvest craziness. So as I'm as we're getting into these slower months and we have kind of this perspective on how this year went from you know, February, March into the growing season and through the harvest season. Now, a lot of us are reflecting on, all right, like where are these wines going to be? And this is when this barrel tasting kind of comes through. When I go out to the winery and we start tasting through everything that we have going on. And it's something that I love doing. Um, I typically do it by myself. Um, I actually, you know, we do, I, with Brittany, we go out there and taste her Blair Payton wines as well. But for anything MTGA, I typically do it myself. Um, it's kind of my me time. It's hey, I gotta, I'm gonna bring my little black notebook out, and we're just gonna do a full review of where this harvest is really ending up. So I'll kind of work your, I'll kind of work my way through that, and kind of what we tasted and where things are at right now. So starting with white wines, you know, our Pinot Gris, even Brittany's wines, uh, her Blair Payton Rosé and her Grenache, kind of these lighter bodied wines that came in earlier in the season, they're phenomenal. Um, this is something that this kind of cool, long growing season that we experience, it caters so heavily to white wines that there, listen, I know Napa and even Northern California is known for its big reds. If you're even remotely into white wine, the white wines, some of the rosés, some of these lighter varieties are going to be gangster from 2023. I'm not kidding. Do not sleep on 2023 white wines or rosés. They're going to be phenomenal, really, really phenomenal. Now, there's a lot of crap rosé out there right now. You're going to want to sort down, you know, probably smaller producers that actually do like direct to press or make rosé specifically to be rosé. You might not want to do the Saunier kind of thing. That's kind of the byproduct of a red wine. Doesn't mean it's not good, but it's not made to be rosé. It was made to be something else. And then they converted it to rosé, basically. Um, again, not a problem. Each their own. Stylistically, that's just my two cents. But... This nice, cool season, I mean, these white wines are just, they're so complex. They're so beautiful. And they're just, oh, they're, they're some of the best white wines I think that this area has produced in a long, long time. I, I mean, you're probably going to have to go back to another cool vintage or another kind of low-yielding vintage to kind of experience the white wines like this. Because it's been so hot and it's been so dry over the last, gosh, you know, 10 years, 12 years or so. Um, going back to 2011, I mean, there's just there's just not been a really, I think, 
amazing opportunity for white wines to show. There are certain regions that do really, really well. There are still some great white wines to be had outside of this vintage. But man, I don't think there's going to be a white wine vintage between basically here, you know, maybe 2000, maybe 2015, even though it was kind of another drought year, 2011, 12 great white wines from those, from those vintages. Um, but yeah, they're a little bit fewer and far between just because it typically is so warm out here. Um, doesn't mean there's not great white wines to be had, like I said, but this year the white wines are just going to be phenomenal. Super complex, super interesting, a little bit more acid-driven, a little bit more intense, I would say, in that sense, a little more structure to them. Uh, but if you love kind of crisp, refreshing white wines to crush by the pool, on the boat, by the lake, whatever the case is, this year is going to knock your socks off. Uh, and some of the really kind of bigger, bolder, maybe, you know, quote-unquote, like reserve white wines but that have a little bit more body maybe aged in some more new oak that have just that more kind of intense character to them. Those are going to be beautiful as well. They're going to be just oh, absolutely phenomenal where the white wines are for this season. Now, as we get into kind of our, our reds, you know, Merlot this year, and I'm going to have a bigger update on Merlot uh, down the line through some of our social media. I probably won't do it on the podcast specifically because it's meant to be a little bit more broad stroke, but there's some changes going on with our Merlot program right now that I am ecstatic for. Uh, I was a little nervous about going into this season, but um, with how things are shaping, are shaping up, just amazing. Uh, but for our Merlot particular and for kind of these medium bodied reds, and I do put Merlot, Merlot kind of plays both fields. It can be lighter bodied to heavy bodied, depending on how it's made. For us, it's kind of that nice medium bodied red, still full, but it's not going to knock your socks off like a cab or a cab franc or like petite Syrah would, right? These medium bodied reds, I think, really benefited from this cool season as well, because they're going to come in before your big Cabernets anyway, your bigger, bolder reds typically. So, you know, from this nice long season, they built a lot more complexity, a lot more intensity to them. Um, for how they're tasting right now, they're certainly a little bit more rough and tumble, I would say. The structure on them is pretty intense right now. The acidity is really, really intense right now. I would say some of these lighter bodied reds, medium bodied reds, almost have this beautiful refreshing quality to them where they lean a little bit more towards like your red fruits, like your cherries, your watermelons, your strawberries, whatever. And not so much on the dark fruits. You know, they still kind of toe that line up against like plum or like fresh fig, but not like jammy, right? Like it's it's a little bit more uh, refreshing kind of in that sense. And then for me personally, that's a beautiful place for some of these wines. That's exactly my goal every year when I'm making Merlot. And in some of these hotter, drier years where we're waiting for ripeness to really get to where we want to go, it's hard to achieve that because they automatically start kind of pushing towards those darker fruit characteristics. And this is the first time probably since, gosh, it probably would be since like 2016, maybe 2017, since we've really had a year that kind of I was able to really dial in the Merlot as I've always kind of wanted it to be. Those These last few years have been a little bit richer, a little bit riper than I would normally prefer, but we've had to do that because the flavors just weren't there. And because that's what I rely on for, you know, when I harvest and how I harvest and how I make my wine, you know, I need the flavors to be there. And if they're not going to be there, if it's darker fruit characteristics, that's fine. But we got to hit these certain, you know, criteria before we pick these grapes. And this year, it hit those criteria, you know, 
earlier on, kind of in that flavor development, which allowed me to make a little bit more of this almost refreshing style of medium bodied reds, which I think a lot of folks are going to be very, very happy with. There's going to be a little bit more restraint to them. They're going to be a little bit more like crushable while watching the game on the couch kind of red wines, which is awesome. They're going to be just easy drinking, sexy, line it up to knock it down kind of red wines. They're going to be really, really fantastic. Um, whether that's your Merlots, your red blends, kind of the things that split the difference between like Pinot Noir and Cab, that kind of middle range there. Again, with this nice cool season, just lights out. Really, really lights out stuff. It's going to take some time for them to. They're they're almost like a, they're almost like a like a greyhound or like a great dane or something that's got the big lanky legs or big old paws and they haven't really grown into themselves yet they're a little klutzy you know little clumsy and that's kind of where these medium bodies reds are like they're they're kind of it's going to take some time for them to really grow into themselves and kind of show you what they have to offer you know but they are on a beautiful track to get things started make no mistake now when we get to our big reds. This is where there's a little bit of a caveat to this harvest. And the reason there's a little bit of a caveat is really because of stylistically where Napa specifically has gone over the last, you know, decade and a half, two decades or so. And many of you know that I've had a bone to pick with Napa about its style over the last 20 years. Because, and to give you, for those of you that don't know, you know, my bone to pick with Napa still to this day is that I feel as though it's homogenized at an outrageous rate. Many, many people have just said, hey, we're going to pick as late as we possibly can. We're going to make the biggest, baddest, juiciest cab that we can. We're going to throw 100% new oak at it because we can. We're going to hire you know, the same handful of consulting winemakers that are making all these great wines. Again, very talented folks. But when you have a small group of people doing the majority of the work, things start to homogenize. Just the way it is. That's my two cents, and I do have a serious problem with it um, because Napa, to me, today is not nearly as unique as it was, and I think that is an issue, uh, which is why, you know, when we make our big reds, we definitely zero in on the 1990s and what Napa really had grown into once we stopped making wine like the French because that was the background for basically everything out here was France was the bell of the ball, and from the middle of the you know 20th century through the 1980s, many, many people were really just trying to emulate that. They're like, Bordeaux is the king of you know these Bordeaux varieties, obviously, so let's just make wine like them. So that's what a lot of people did. And slowly but surely, you saw kind of standouts and people start cut themselves from the herd and say, hey, you know what? We have different soil types. We have a different climate here. There's a lot of different things that we can do to capitalize on what nature's given us Let's start doing that. So you started to see that change as the years went on. And for me, kind of the golden era of Napa wines were that, you know, 80s into the 90s, kind of that transitional phase of, hey, we don't need to emulate them. Let's just do our thing and do it really, really well. And for whatever reason, and I don't really, I I think there's a few reasons that Napa kind of went a little, you know, that pendulum swung a little bit too far. One would be the advent of the, the cult wines and kind of these big, very rich, you know, expensive wines that are being made by, you know, a handful of, you know, who, you know, very talented winemakers, um, you know, 
It's going to be the ratings and reviews thing, you know, for a long, long time. And still to this day, people chase that 100 point score. I don't fucking know why it's so frustrating. But make no mistake, there's a certain style of wine that earns a 100 point score. That's just the reality of it. And, you know, past that, you have seen, and I don't know if this is a huge problem, but this is, you know, it, you know, the, the wine industry, especially as it pertains to Napa has slowly become a little bit more the billionaires club, right? Or it's a lot of mergers and acquisitions with bigger companies and corporations like Constellation Brands and Treasury, things of that nature, where you have folks that, you know, are obviously very passionate about the wine industry. It's how they make a lot of money. Um, or it's, you know, for these big uh, corporate brands, you know, that's how they make a lot of money for some of these newer billionaires to the business. They're understanding this is how you lose a lot of money, (laughs) you know. Um, But there's just kind of a, there's been this little bit of a, um, I'm trying to think of like the right way to say this. And it's not like people have lost their passion for wine because these folks, I've worked for some of these folks, they're still very passionate about wine and they love it. And there's a reason why they wanted to get into the wine industry. But they know a little bit about wine. They know what they like. They know what their benchmarks are. They know what they want to emulate. And that typically is kind of this high-end range of 100-point wines and cult wines and things. So you have kind of this, you know, current that comes along with them that says, hey, if I'm going to be buying into this industry and making my own wines, I need to achieve that because that is the quality standard. I need to have that cult wine status. I need to be using these consultants, these barrels, and I need to, these are my benchmarks. So we need to live up to those benchmarks or in this kind of like competitive set, basically. And I think that's where a lot of that homogenation has come from over the last 20 years, basically. And the caveat to that and with this harvest is that with this long drawn out growing season, from what I understand and kind of the, you know, word through the grapevine, pun intended, is that there are certain vineyards, certain sites that simply did not get to the physiological ripeness that a lot of these guys want guys and gals want whatever which is tough because this is what happened in 2011 a really cool kind of rainy vintage a lot more challenging i would say than what we experienced this year but you simply didn't have grapes get as ripe as you wanted to there's no way to do it mother nature wasn't going to do it for you and you're not going to be out there you know with, I don't know what you're going to do to try and get that to ripen up. It's not like you got a grow house. You can flick all the lights on. You're waiting for the sun to come out and you're waiting for some warm days. And when those warm days don't come, now your grapes aren't going to get to where you want them to be. And I think this is why, you know, for those of us that make wines that are a little bit more restrained, why 2023 is going to be this vintage of a decade. Now, I, I do think for the vast majority of folks, they were able to get their, you know, their grapes in as they wanted to. But this is a really fun anecdote um, and a little bit of a sidebar, but I think you'll pick up what I'm putting down when I kind of insinuate this, is that this happened in 2011 as well. And being another cool vintage, you know, you had grapes that weren't necessarily getting to a certain sugar level. Um, You had folks that were looking for, you know, there's a certain alcohol level that, you know, comes along with that, a certain richness and ripeness to the wines. And when you don't have that higher level of sugar in your grapes, you can't achieve that. Now, you ask, well, what can you do to mitigate it? Can you, like, add sugar? Can you do something? And we're like, well, 
actually. You can in the form of a concentrate, although that's typically done afterwards and more so for residual sugar in the wine, not actually for fermentation. At least in my experience, I'm sure there's people that use you know mega purple and mega red. Um, for those that don't know what those are, feel free to go back to our wine additives podcast from earlier in the year. We're going to talk a lot more about wine additives and stuff as the years go on or as the shows go on, I should say. But what's even more interesting is that when you see these kind of lower sugar, like lower ripeness years out in the vineyard, you know, actually it's illegal for us to just like add sugar to a fermentation. Like we can't just go and buy a bunch of cane sugar from the grocery store and dump it into a tank and say, all right, there, we get up the sugar level by X amount of grams per liter. That'll give us, you know, this level of bricks and then we'll be good to go. That's illegal. We can't do that. People definitely don't do that at all. You know, it's, it is kind of weird, though, that in every grocery store in the county that there's just no cane sugar available. It's I don't know why. It's like every time we have a cool vintage, you know, people are inside a little bit more. They're probably just baking cookies, a lot of cookies, you know, like they're like, hey, this will be some nice warm to bake goods for the cellar crews. You know, it's chilly. It's a long harvest. Let's give them some snacks. They're definitely people definitely aren't buying that sugar and putting it into their fermentations. That wouldn't happen. That's illegal, guys. People would never do that. Or would they? <laughs> it's funny how that works. You know, so at, when you're up against that wall and you're not going to get the characteristics and the chemistry and the fruit, are you going to try and find a creative way around it? You know, so that's kind of the, the caveat to this year is that from what I understand, some folks that are looking for X amount of ripeness and development in their vineyards weren't able to achieve it. For a lot of us, that wasn't a problem because we're not looking to do these insane go big or go home wines. We're looking for a little bit more restraint. And to be completely honest, I do think the pendulum is starting to swing back. I do believe that more and more wineries are kind of saying, hey, this big juicy jammy ripe thing's been fun, but let's make a couple of wines that are a little bit more even keeled, maybe just a little bit more balanced, a little bit more restrained and more complex, in my opinion. So that's that's really the big caveat and kind of the review of this year is that if you're trying to make these insane immense wines, you're you were right up against a wall. A lot of folks got there. Some folks didn't. You know, that will come out in the wash as we start tasting through these wines and as they start being released in a few years, you know. Very typical, you know, we're all out here trying to market our wines and, you know, hype up the vintage, especially when it's such a great year for so many people. And no one's going to talk shit about their own product. Like, let's be honest. Like, no one's going to come and say, hey, you know what? We just couldn't make the wine we wanted to make this year, but please buy it anyway. No one's going to say that. They're going to come out and try and sell it to you. Don't you worry. They will. But it probably will be a little different. If, if you're into those really big, intense, like punch you in the taste buds, go big or go home wines, I wouldn't say they're going to be hard to track down from 2023, but there's probably going to be some differences to them subtly just because of how cool and restrained this year was. So, you know, I think that is kind of the one caveat, you know, your lighter reds, your medium bodied reds, your white wines, your rosés are just, they're going to be fucking fantastic. You guys, I can't even tell you how good they're going to be. 
And for those that don't mind a bigger boulder red that is still has that restraint to it, those are gonna be lights out. They're gonna be phenomenal as well. If you were going for that high alcohol, high octane, juicy, jammy, lots of new oak wine, this year's gonna be a little tougher. There's you, This is a kind of year where much like 2011, if you could do it, you needed a little bit more finesse. You needed to kind of, in my opinion, slow play it a little bit more and really let the wine do the talking and you know understand what that's going to need to get it where you want to go without having to use a bunch of additives and extracts and things to doctor it up to make it taste the way you want to you know it's you know if you this might be for some people kind of a coke or pepsi year they're just trying to hit their flavor profile with whatever they need to hit it um which would be surprising to me because it was such a great year i don't know but that's that little potentially big caveat for some folks that are out there well, regardless of how things, I think, end up for the mass producers and whatnot, for a lot of the small producers that I think many of you are more familiar with, it's going to be a phenomenal year. You know, even with the caveat that I mentioned, 2023, I, and I've been saying it for months, I've probably been saying it for close to half the year at this point, 2023 has vintage of the decade, like written all over it. Like the banner is like ready to be hung in the rafters. It is that kind of harvest for us. It's these don't come around that often. You know, I think, you know, through the 20 teens, you could argue it could be a 2019. It could be a 2015, even a 13, maybe a 12. There's kind of a few in the running, you know, from the last decade. I, you know, 13 is probably number two for me. 11 is still my favorite still is those cool vintages i love them to death but you know there's a little bit more debate there so far through the 2020s and granted we're a third of the way through this decade right there's a lot more to come down the pipeline but based on i think what many of us are tasting what many of us saw through this growing season and where the wines are at even right now we're looking at this vintage like hey man whatever else comes down the pipeline like it's going to have a tough time measuring up to what 2023 has to offer i really hope that next year the year after and as we approach 2030 yes 2030 is around the corner people <laughs> hard to believe but it is it is around the corner right there will probably there are going to be more good vintages that come down the pipeline but this is this one's a special one this is a special one no doubt about it all right, everybody, it's time for me to sign off. Thank you again all so much for pushing us over that thousand download mark. Um, I can't tell you how appreciative appreciative I am of it. Um, please continue to like, share, subscribe, follow us on our social networks. It's just at MTGA Wines on the Book of Face, Instagram, uh, the social network formerly known as Twitter, of course, YouTube. You can also, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcasts at, you can also find this on YouTube with the video portion, which is just me waving my hands around. But you can wave at me and I'll pretend to wave back during the next show. Don't you worry. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Have an amazing rest of the week. Actually, next week is going to be our holiday special. I'm figuring out exactly something that we're going to do with it uh, because it'll be December 27th. We'll officially be through the thick of the holiday season and gearing up for the new year. Actually, it's going to be our December Q&A next week. So don't forget, if you have 
burning questions that you have on the wine industry, hospitality, whatever the case may be. You can leave them in the comments, slide them into our DMs on any of the social networks that I mentioned. You can also go to our website, mtgawines.com. Just scroll down to the bottom. There's a little form there that you can fill out and email them directly to us. That way we can address your questions on next week's show. One last time, thank you all so much. Appreciate you. Have a killer rest of the week, and we'll see you on the 27th.